feel like with all the stay-at-home orders and stuff like that, I see more people out than normal. Yeah, everywhere. Everywhere. Like the sidewalks are packed. Right. Like the other day I had to, I was walking with my wife and my daughter outside and we had to stop walking because so many people were outside. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you can't avoid the closeness at that point. Right. So um, I guess maybe we should probably talk about, I, I like to talk about strengths and weaknesses sometimes. And I like to talk to other people about their kind of offensive and defensive security strengths and weaknesses. How does that sound? Yeah, I like it. So uh, I guess a question for you is what what is your strength for offensive uh, security? Sure. So I think the biggest thing I have from an offensive perspective is really being able to uh, crowdsource information. Uh, I'm probably... Uh, I'm a defender of the generalist. I think that's, you know, some people don't like the idea of generalists and there certainly is a time and a place for people that are super specialized in certain areas. But really what I try and do is know just enough to really be able to identify the right people to bring in to, you know, different conversations or different people to reach out to for help with really specific problems. You know, so I'm certainly not the the greatest pen tester or, you know, anything else really. But what I like to try and do is learn about different areas and really just get enough of an understanding to be able to hold an intelligent conversation and then kind of crowdsource with folks to identify, all right, um, you know, something like this, hey, if we're talking ICS security, Maybe I know a little bit, but I'm going to turn to someone like you and be like, hey, this is the conversation I was having. Um, You know, really, where do we go from there? Yeah, I like I like that you're the defender of the generalist. I feel I think that I'm more of a generalist than sometimes I believe. Um, Like with web app penetration testing, I know enough to get by. But like without Burp Suite Pro and Durbuster, like I'm completely lost. Right. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, one of those as well. I think there's a lot of value in people. Um, I, I don't know if shunning is the right word, right? But there, there's folks that, you know, they're, I guess Metasploit's probably the easy one to point out. There's folks that refuse to use it. They're like, hey, I use custom everything. You know, which can be good, but at the same time, you're not, you're probably not being efficient with your time because there's yeah. certain things that, you know, that are already done and they're done well in a way that works. Right. And you, you're better off focusing areas, you know, where you're really making the, the big impact. Yeah. Right? I prefer to use like Metasploit and Cobalt Strike are my two favorite i mean essentially c2s to utilize because they have everything i need and if it doesn't have everything i need then it's a problem that's super specialized that i need to find a specific tool in order to accomplish the task that's in front of me right yeah so i'm certainly a you know a big proponent of not recreating the wheel when you don't have to oh yeah um you know and so 
you know, the, that side of it, um, realistically, I try and leverage people on my team, um, you know, for more of that specialized work where that's really where they can shine. Yeah, I'm with you. I have, I have a lot of people on my team that are specialized in a multitude of different domains, right? We have, we have one guy who is like a software engineer by design, but man, he can tear apart code and he can find, like he can reverse engineer things and he can find a a buffer overflow or even like as simple as like credentials that I couldn't find just running random strings on a binary. But man, this guy can like tear it apart, figure it out, put it together and give you a working POC. Right, yeah, and that's good to have. I, I mean- so with me, my, I don't know if that's kind of a cop-out answer for biggest strength for me, but what do you think your biggest offensive strength is? Um, I think my biggest offensive strength is really network penetration testing. Uh, I Like I said, I do okay with web app, but when I do a network penetration test, I feel like the breadth of knowledge that I have is put to better use. Does that make sense? Yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think I think that like let me let me give you an example. So I was performing a pen test on an ICS network and on my off time I do things like hack the box and random CTFs to kind of hone my skills. So it was funny, I was working on a box on hack the box called Forest where it was you're pen testing a domain controller and there was tools that I don't normally utilize and I had to utilize them for that particular um, box, Windows domain controller. So then I went and performed a penetration test like literally two weeks later. And I'm like, oh, I use this tool in packet and I'm like, let me see if I can use it inside this penetration test, this assessment I'm performing. And I was right. able to get like service principle uh, credentials utilizing Impact. And I was like, no way. And then I brought it to um, our Hashcat instance uh, for people out there. That's our password cracking tool, Hashcat. And I think, Sean, you guys use that as well, right? We do. Yeah. I mean, I don't there's some folks that I, I think are I actually saw someone using John the Ripper recently, but I, I would say Hashcat's the de facto password cracking software at this point. Yeah, I agree. So I was able to use Hashcat and crack the Kerberos credentials. I think it was an encryption type 23, if I remember correctly. And the service principal name or the SPN credentials that I gathered was actually the default domain admin credentials for this particular vendor's network. So for people out there that don't really know, in industrial control systems, the vendors are the one that sets up the network. So you don't have like an IT administrator that's like, or server administrator that's going to set up your active directory domain in you know this part of your force. That's not what happens in industrial control systems. We have actual vendors like Honeywell and Emerson and ABB that come in, they create the forest for you, or they already have one kind of, most of the time they have pre-canned networks. They come in, 
they drop this pre-can network into your environment and then this is what you utilize sometimes there's some misconfigurations sometimes people aren't following password policies and that's kind of what happened here a little bit of misconfiguration i was able to get the service principal name hash from an unauthenticated point of view and then from there i was able to crack it because there was bad password policy i think it was only eight characters and only um letters there's no numbers or anything like that associated with it perfect crack the hash and then i was able i know i know you're like perfect and you know this is control systems controlling uh the electric grid or or oil refineries and it's you know an eight character only letters and you're like wow i don't know <laughs> i don't know how i feel about that so i was able to crack the password had the domain administrator. Uh, and then I know that in IT, we try to shy away from this, but I went and I extracted the ntds.dit file from the domain controller. Uh, it contains all the hashes and credentials of all the users within the domain in what's called an NTLM format, which is the, I think that's the, smallest format, smallest hashing algorithm format that Windows utilizes to authenticate users. Is that right, Sean? Yep. Yeah. Yeah. So I yeah, I was like, uh, I don't know if that's like the right definition. And of course, this is going to go to the public. So people are going to be like, you're completely wrong. But yeah. yeah. You know, and especially with, you know, when you're talking about those eight characters, you know, at that point, and hopefully folks are using NTLM v2 at this point, but uh, version one of that, um, believe it or not, even if you had up to a 14 character password, so that used to be the maximum. Yeah. And it's kind of the cap of that algorithm. Right. Um, so it, it splits your password into two seven character strings. And then also before creating the hash, turns everything to a capital letter. Oh, geez. So it's a super weak password hashing algorithm. Uh, and the password thing is one of the areas I, conversations I have a lot, I guess I should say. Yep. Um, you know, and especially the eight characters, that's pretty common. And a lot of folks like to point back to that NIST uh, special publication 863B from, what was it maybe two years ago now? Um, because in there they do say, hey, you should really enforce a minimum length of eight characters for passwords, um, which is great. But a lot of folks don't read the rest of that document that includes a ton of other security precautions that also need to be put in place. Yeah. Um, and one of them happens to be a unique salt or cost factor for each passphrase, which Active Directory does not do. Mm. So inherently you can't be and this isn't a, an official term, but folks like to say, you know, we're NIST compliant with our passwords. Um, and you can't be. You can get really close. You can implement almost everything, right. especially when you start looking at some third-party tools. Another one um, that some folks overlook is you have to actively look for breached passwords and make sure they're not in use in yep. your environment. Um, luckily, you know, there, so there's the Have I Been Pwned website. Um, that 
you can integrate that um, into your password checking policy. Um, there's also the Azure, uh, what is it? Azure Password Protection. The name can be a bit misleading because it works with on-prem Active Directory as well. Yeah. But leverages uh, the same idea where they're monitoring for breached passwords, and then you can have as part of your password policy a check to make sure folks you know aren't using any of those passwords. That's super cool. Then, I didn't know. You know. So you can, yeah, yeah. It that's definitely worth uh, looking into. That's probably one I should throw into the show notes as well. Yeah. Um, and it presents the same error message to a user like they only had two out of the three character sets or anything like that. It just says you don't meet the complexity requirements. Um, so there's also a bit of end user communication needed because yeah. they could hit, hey, I have 15 characters and I'm using all four character sets. What do you mean I don't meet complexity requirements? But it turns out they're using something you know that's been posted to have I been pwned or right. any of these other password dumps. Yeah, you like password one, two, three, four, exclamation point. Right. That's funny. So to get back to the um, you know, the penetration test I was doing on the control system. So I was able to extract the NTDS NTDS.dit file. Uh ended up having the NTLM hashes of all the users within the domain. And in some control systems, uh, you have what are called safety instrumented systems where the the name says they perform safety functions within the network. And in this particular control system, they had a special SIS user. And because I had the NTLM credentials of the SIS user, I was able to log in to the engineering workstations utilizing that user's credentials. And from there, I was able to, if I wanted to, I could have shut off the safety instrumented systems and in an event of you know catastrophic failure of the network where the safety systems would have been triggered they wouldn't have been triggered at that point because i turned them off that's very nice of you harry <laughs> yeah yeah that's dangerous i mean that's definitely you talk about being able to show real world impact with a pen test i mean that sort of thing Right there, that's for sure real world impact. Right. Yeah, we try to, I try to work on consequence driven impact where what is the consequence of this, right? If, if we were talking just from the minimum of I was able to log into your domain controller and I was able to extract passwords, that doesn't matter. It matters to some people. But as far as consequences are concerned, what are you going to do? I'm just going to burn down my domain and build a new one. Yeah, it might take some time, take some money to do that. But as far as a consequence is concerned, it's not too much of a consequence. But when you can show the impact of saying, I was able to get to your you know, user that controls your safety systems. And from there, I could have RDP'd remote desktop into an engineering workstation and just shut everything down if I wanted to. That is the impact of this pen test. Yeah, I like it. Yeah, and I mean, just to name some tools I was using, um, in packet, I was able to use the get SPN to harvest the credentials from the domain controller from an unauthenticated point of view. Um, I was able to use crap map ezek, which is a post exploitation tool. 
and I was able to brute force de other default credentials that allowed me to extract more information from the domain controller. And then there was funny enough, um, a special VPN had to get set up for this network for me to even touch it. And on the VPN, they didn't allow reverse connections out of the network. So I actually had to use Metasploit bind shells in order to get onto the targets themselves and perform all the actions I was performing. Interesting. How yeah. long did you end up sitting there spinning your wheels in the mud before you realized that was the way to go? Um, probably, I think I spent a good part of a night. It was a shorter, it was a condensed pen test. I had about three, three or four days to get it done. And then we normally have about five. And one night I just ended up staying up all night trying to get a foothold somewhere. And by morning I had my foothold. I slept probably about five or six hours and then went back at it. And I was able to take control of the domain. So it was definitely a success from my point of view, not just because of the penetration test was a success, but we were able to demonstrate impact and consequences and the client was very happy with the results. That's awesome. That's good to hear. So we, we were talking about offensive stuff. What about defensive? Like what, what is your, I know you're a generalist, but what is like defensive security wise? What's your strength? Yeah, I'd say, you know, probably equally balanced between two things right now. Um, one of them being active directory security and just kind of, I guess, windows security. Um, it happens to be an area I focus a lot in both at work and then in school. Yeah. I've actually shifted uh, the focus of my program towards that defensive um, side of things. Right. So one of those, and it really started, uh, I started reading a lot of the articles Sean Metcalf puts out on AD security. Oh, I love that stuff. And he does a really, really good job of breaking down incredibly complex things within Active Directory yeah. and translates them you know, to something I can read and understand. Um, certainly wouldn't call myself an expert in Windows security, but I think that's an area um, I can speak to pretty confidently, uh, especially when we're starting to look at how these various pen test findings translate to, well, what's the, how do we fix this, right? right? How do we set up the network so that this doesn't happen? Or more importantly, uh, arguably more importantly, is how can we set up the environment to detect when this is happening um, versus just blocking it outright? Um, I tend to um, live by, uh, it's probably a little cliche, but you know, preventing the attack is great. You should aim to do that. Um, but it's absolutely mandatory that you're able to detect it if it is happening um, and being able to look at, you know, active directory and set things up to go after that is something I really enjoy doing. Um, the second one, it probably speaks back more towards that generalist standpoint is um, I actually enjoy reading things like those NIST special publications, uh, all these control frameworks. Um, it's something I don't know. I, I like getting really into the details of why they're recommending certain things. So right. like some of the examples, the CIS controls tends to be 
the they're not really a framework, but the set of controls I point people to most often. And the reason being every one of those sub controls in order to be accepted by the group that puts things together, you had to show a real world attack that would have either been prevented or detected by that control. So there's zero fluff and people can say, well, this control is ridiculous. Why did we ever do that? Yeah. Well, perfect. Here's some published real world attacks where this would have prevented or stopped, you know, prevented or detected this incident. So the strength I think I have there is being able to connect the dots between something like uh, the financial industry or the healthcare industry that have what are usually pretty broad statements in their different regulatory requirements. So you must do X, Y, Z, but X, Y, Z isn't, you know, something they can put their thumb on and say, okay, it's this setting configured to, you know, whatever, right? So like password length, sometimes you can get some really granular recommendations, but more often than not, the regulators are like, Hey, you need to have strong passwords. Well, that's a massive can of worms and, you know, it has a lot of interpretation. So being able to map different frameworks to technical controls, I think is an area of strength for me on the defensive side. Yeah, I like it. I don't, that's not my strong suit. I mean, I can do it to a certain point. Uh, I mean, I've worked with you in the past. I know this is definitely your strength. I can do it to a certain point. Uh, but when I get down to the nitty gritty, it, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around some sorts of regulations or frameworks and put them to use. And I think that's probably my weakness is essentially your strength is the controls, right? And I think, yeah. And and it's something, Oh, go ahead. (laughs) Sorry. I was going to say, I think you've been putting out some blog posts on the controls, right? I have been. Yeah. So in, in an effort to get back to writing on a more regular schedule, um, yeah, I actually took the CIS controls, um, probably to the point of, getting to fanboy status of the CIS controls, but I really do believe they can have, you know, the biggest impact on organizations. So I have been putting out posts about each uh, control and the sub control requirements and just trying to highlight some of the tools that I've seen that really work well Yeah, um, for actually getting those implemented. Cause right. like, there's a lot people like to say, Oh yeah, the CIS controls, those are the SANS top 20, right? 20 things you do to secure your network. Which is true, there are 20 controls, but then each one of those 20 has, you know, anywhere between five and maybe 12 or 15 sub-controls. So there's really a couple hundred things you're doing. Um, And a lot of them, you know, can be quick wins um, uh, on the face of it. So, hey, maintain a hardware inventory, what's connected to your network. Okay, you know, everyone should probably have a grasp on that. Then you get to some of the more advanced things application whitelisting. Okay. That's probably something more and more folks are moving towards, but I certainly don't see that. Um, I see it less often than I see it deployed. Right. Fewer, fewer folks have it than do. Um, and then, you know, kind of the biggest one that I think a lot of people push back on, but is actually a really fun conversation to have probably for a a different day. Um, having dedicated admin workstations. So, you know, the people in the past have always understood the need for separate user accounts for admins and low priv activities. 
CIS goes one step further and says, yeah, you need to have those separate accounts. You also need to have separate machines uh, for this to really shrink that attack surface. Yeah, I did. Credentials. I did an architecture review earlier this year, and that was one of the biggest findings, uh, an architecture review of multiple control system sites. And that was the biggest finding that we had was, hey, you have you know not only shared admin users, but you're utilizing those admin credentials on non-admin systems, right? So we, we suggested to them like, hey man, you should probably set up this one computer that everybody has access to, and that's and that's what you utilized for for your admin access when you're trying to do administration of your domain. Yeah, and I mean it makes sense because when you look at it, most attacks now are coming in some form of you know social engineering spin. So maybe a phishing email or you know some drive-by downloads through a web browser. So if you can get those really high-value credentials off of a machine where someone's checking their email and browsing the web, you're really going to shrink the, you know, the chance an attacker has to grab those credentials. Right. Right. And I, and I, I want to bring up a pen test that I did where I was just like, man, I feel awful because I'm not doing too well. And for people who don't do penetration tests out there, there are times as a penetration tester that we quote unquote don't win. And there was this one time where we didn't win. I didn't win me and my team. And it was from, I mean, we had, we were going up against this blue team that they patched everything they had. Uh, they ran bloodhound on their own network and patched everything from that point of view. Have you ever heard of that, Sean? I like the idea. I don't, I can't say I've seen an organization that's actually doing that. Um, but I, I love the idea of them, you know, taking some of those tools that are traditionally focused, you know, for attack purposes, or maybe not traditionally focused, but mainly used that way and actually trying to predict what you or the other attackers are going to do and fix it ahead of time. Yeah. So they utilize Bloodhound. They stripped down everything. We couldn't WMI anywhere. We couldn't, there was no PS remoting, PowerShell remoting. Um, and WMI is Windows managed instrumentation. I believe that's the right definition, but we couldn't do any of that. So, and this was a time where um, thankfully there's a tool that just came out called uh, Sharp RDP or um, Remote Desktop written in C Sharp that allows attackers to essentially remote desktop to another computer utilizing the RDP protocol and execute a command without actually interfering with the desktop. And that was that was the only way that we could have moved and this tool wasn't out at that time. Only RDP was open. And, and I felt bad because at the end, we're like, we, we couldn't do anything. And they were super happy, but I felt you know, that that was a weakness of mine. I couldn't, you know, do the normal stuff I've been doing lately. Yeah. And so the, I guess the one thing um, I've learned in situations like that, um, the last, I don't know, maybe year and a half or so is doing a better job at highlighting where all of those blue team wins were 
Um, you know, I, I think traditionally I used to focus on, well, let's report on all these issues, all the things we found wrong, all the different ways into these systems and wouldn't necessarily give as much credit for the things that were going right. Right. And, and that's something I've started to shift where, you know, even if, Hey, we ended up compromising the domain, still try and find a few things that went well. And I think the big benefit there has been some of the folks seeing these reports don't necessarily understand, you know, all the screenshots and the appendices and everything. Um, they just kind of hone in on, well, where, where does it look like they're describing an issue? Um, and that, you know, doesn't always paint a full picture where we want to be able to highlight, Hey, there may be a bunch of things to fix, but you are doing certain things, right? So you need to make sure you keep doing those things. We don't want you to abandon what you're doing. Um, you know, and so it's kind of, it's been exciting to see these engagements go forward where, um, you know, it's much more interactive. So it's not getting close to, you know, that red team where it's really attacker versus defense, but, you know, working together with, Hey, come to us when you're detecting certain things and let's try and manipulate the testing a bit to figure out exactly where you're flagging on things we're doing and, and where we're maybe sneaking by. Right. I like that, that, uh, purple team approach, you know, um, well, we yep. do that too. And I feel that it builds more of a partnership with our clients rather than them just being the customer. And, and I prefer that partnership together because not only do, you know, I like your example, Hey, where are you detecting? And then where are we sneaking by? That's the same thing. You know, where are we sneaking by so we can modify your detection so that you can include what we have, you know, maybe we wrote some sort of custom command and control profile for Cobalt Strike. Well, this is what we're doing. And this is how you can append your rules to have detections for this type of command and control profile. But I also like that partnership because when you get to the point where you're, you know, essentially hitting your head against the wall, you're like, I can't get any farther. Then your relationship with the blue team, they're like, all right, let's remove this one barrier. Let's give you the set of credentials and see how far you can get. And that's where I really enjoy my job because it's a, it's a partnership at the end of the day. We don't want, we want to help our clients build a stronger defense and network. You know, you go back to the protect, detect and respond. You have to make sure that your client can do all of that. So I, I like your approach. I like it a lot. Awesome. So all good stuff. What about weaknesses? Man, so I work in a lot of Windows networks. And I think my weakness is really more along the lines of Linux servers and maybe Linux administration. I utilize Linux for my attacking uh, operating system. So it's not something that I think about all the time. And I use either a Mac or I use a Windows operating system as my base host. So it's not really something that I look into. And a lot of the environments I'm seeing are mainly based on Windows anyway. So I find that I'm not having a lot of time interacting with those Linux servers to show that, hey, this is my you know, this is a strong suit. I can protect both Linux and Windows environments 
equally. And I think that's one of my weaknesses. And then another one uh, going back to Windows is really group policy management. I can I understand how it works and I understand there's a lot of settings in there, but there are so many settings in there that I can't even wrap my head around most of it. Yeah, I mean, you look at um, like the the CIS benchmarks or the DISA STIGs yeah. for Windows and it's like a thousand page long PDF. And yeah, that's not even everything, <laughs> right? Because that that's really security focused. And then there's still all those options that are really like um, user preferences, yeah, and stuff like that. You know, it's essentially endless. Um, I would definitely agree. Linux admin is probably my biggest weakness overall. Hopefully, changing soon, since I do have training on that exact topic starting. Um, pretty soon, but certainly an area I know almost nothing about right now. Right. You know what? That would be a cool project for you to have. I just thought of this right now and I'm about to catch Sean off guard. Um, that would be a cool, if you could set up, like after you learn all your Linux server administration stuff, if you could put on a workshop, like Linux administration, like 101, like what you need to know, like that would be great. Yeah. I mean, luckily, you know, a lot of folks, I feel like tend to use Kali. So at least we don't have to start with change your password from T-O-O-R. That's <laughs> step one with the, the latest release. Right. Um, but yeah, I mean, that, that might be something worth doing is, um, you know, hey, Linux security, I don't know, 101, something basic. I have to figure out how much of it I can actually absorb and retain first. Yeah, I know. There's just so much. I mean, if you think about it, we've, we've been spending the past, what, six years absorbing all this information from Windows environments. Right. And barely scratching the surface. I know. I, I, learn, I learn a multitude of new things every single day. Yeah. Awesome. Do you have anything else you wanted to, to talk about today? Uh, no, I don't think so. I just want to thank the listeners out there for tuning in and listening to us have rambles about security. Yeah, I, I would second that for sure. Uh, the only other thing I guess I'd add is feedback is great, good, bad, or otherwise. Let us know um, what are we doing good? What can we do better? And is there anything you want either of us to ramble about? Yeah, certainly. All right, guys. So, have a good one. Thank you for listening to Security Without Obscurity.